All right, what's up, everybody? This is Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez. This is the Art of Health podcast. I have a guest with me today, gentlemen, Mr. Rolo Tomasi. Hopefully, I said that right. Yeah. The author of the rational. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Author of the Rational Mail. Um, I'm going to assume you guys know who he is. I'm not going to do a long intro. He's written the Rational Mail, Volume Twenty Two and Three. Kind of the Godfather of the Red Pill. Um, which again, I'm going to assume my audience kind of knows what it is. We just been having a conversation right now, so I'll, I'll let him kind of. Do a little bit of an intro, Rolla. How you doing? Good, good, good. Um, I think we were going to talk about um, what physique and the physical aspect of things this, on this talk. Is that what we're going to do? Yeah, something along okay. those lines. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys have been listening a while now. I've, I've been in the fitness industry nine years. I've known the highest levels of physique competitors, bodybuilders, mm-hmm. you know, powerlifters, you know, those types of people. Um, you know, like I was just saying. But yeah, there's this factor to that where when people think of the word alpha, that's such a, a charged thing now, but mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a physical presentation of that. Does he look mm-hmm. alpha? Right. You know, but, but I've seen over my, you know, over my lifetime, and obviously you've got more life experience than I do, that you have to have, you have to have the inner game. You have to have the, you know, the way of being the personality to back up the look. Right. For a lot of guys, even for ones who I think conception themselves as being the macho mm-hmm. alpha male, they can turn to absolute chumps with women. Mm-hmm. And their appearance is, yeah, it gets some attention and points that way. Right. But then it all breaks down the actual relationship dynamic. Yeah, well, I was going to say is that there has to be what's called, what I mean, I think it's, I don't want to say this is attributable only to pickup artists, but there's a certain idea of congruency. There has to be, if you're a big yoke dude, nobody wants to see you in, you know, uh, dressing like you're in, like you're a little girl, you know, they don't want to see you like it. I think the, the easiest way to describe this is if you see a dude who's like really super yoked and he's dressed up in like a bikini or something like that, he's, and I mean like a woman's bikini, mm-hmm. he, that's incongruent because you have this guy who's really yoked and who in another, in another context would be very, very hot and women would be all over that, but he ruins the congruency. And that's just one aspect of that the other aspect is like making your life fit around you know who you are as opposed to what you are so if you're if you're again i think we were talking or i think this whole conversation started with a tweet that yeah. I, I was telling you about a there's a a guy i used to know named jake and i put him in one of my uh, my essays and uh, this guy was just drop dead model quality gorgeous guy and yet, and I think he was a, he was a publicist for, for this one casino I was working with. And um, he had access to, to lots and lots of women. He had access to, you know, I mean, just model quality women too. And they would just fall all over themselves for him. But he was always upset because he couldn't get a girlfriend and he couldn't get uh, anything to go, you know, longer. And then just hanging out with the guy and understanding what he was all about, his looks were not congruent with what women were expecting that a guy that looks like that, they, he was different from what they were expecting from that guy. So if he's this, even if he's the most yoked out guy that you can possibly imagine, he's still, um, if, if he acts like a pussy or if he acts like he's beta, that that's a knock against you. Now there's a, a lot that the physique can cover. There's a multitude of sins that, you know, looking really good can cover. But after a while, when that kind of builds up, it, it ruins the package. It ruins the whole idea of what that guy, you know, the fantasy of what that guy could be. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking before we came on here, I was telling you about my other friend who's a, um, 
a bodybuilder. Um, he was one of my training partners for, gosh, probably about 10 years back. And his name was Dean. And this dude was like 6'2", maybe 6'3". Gorgeous looking dude. I mean, just yoked. Did um, uh, the uh, male stripping on like uh, once a month at one of these strip clubs where they would have the all-male review. And he was telling me, you know, I was telling him, I said, well, yeah, you make a lot of money at that because you're a good looking dude. And, and, uh, you know, he wanted to get me to do it. And I'm like, I don't have to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but I was like, I mean, this is, this is a long time ago. But, uh, I told him, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. He says, well, you know, the, the, the key to being an effective male stripper is not just having a good body. It is also, um, selling a fantasy that goes along with that because what, what arouses men and what arouses women are two different things. Um, you can, you can look at a girl in, you know, a thong and a bikini and you can just, or you can see a chick on, you know, strippers in like female strippers in the strip club. They got the easiest job in the world because all they got to do is just be, you know, sexually available and they got to be hot. They don't have to do much else after that. I mean, they just, I, I, they got to flirt with them and everything. But, I, I trained a few in my day. It was, for, it, was, it was interesting listening to them. Yeah. Well, for a, a male stripper, they have to sell something more than just their body. I mean, it's nice to have that body. And I'm sure that there are some women who are just going to you know, go, okay, well, it looks good. But the more successful male stripper was, he had to sell his body plus the fantasy. So it wasn't just the hot male stripper. It was a hot male stripper who was the hot fireman or the hot attorney. Or, uh, and I was telling you this before, is like the, the most the most profitable fantasy was the officer and a gentleman fantasy. So the guy would be in his dress blues and then strip it off and then go into his routine. And they're selling the story and the fantasy along with that. And again, really what that is, is that's congruency. It's, it's like, okay, yeah, the guy's hot, but what, is he believable? Is the guy really, is he really like this? No, probably not. But we're, you know, we're going to engage in fantasy right now anyways. Um, is he really a fireman? No. But if he's selling it in a, in a fireman's costume, that is more, more arousing for women than it would be for, you know, if there was a, a, a discongruity or incongruency between those. Yeah, I, I was incongruent myself when I was younger mm -hmm. since I was, I mean, you know, we've, Typical story for a lot of guys. I was, you know, it's kind of like alpha beta ish. You know, I, I was, I'm, I'm six two, like you know, a little over six two. Yeah. Always, you know, been a good guy. Got attention just for the way I looked. Didn't have the personality to go with it. So I always got female attention. Women, women will talk to me. So that was always easy. But I, you know, when, I'm, when I was younger, you know, especially teenage years, I, I couldn't back it up. I was, just, you know, I was passive, you know, white knight mentality. Right. Um, and I was, I was always, you know, pissed, pissed off, thrown off. I remember being those days because I'd see guys that were you know, not as good looking as me, shorter, what have you, but they, you know, they'd be, you know, typical stuff, aggressive, didn't care mm -hmm. that what they wanted. And they got that, they got the sexual female attention and I got, you know, I got friend zone over and over and it took me, I had to go, I go through, I had to go through this period of, you know, trying to figure out why. And you know, like you just said with the congruency, I, I've seen, I, I mean, one, one of my, a good friend of mine I had in the fitness industry, he was a probably similar to Jake. Was it like a you know, professional bodybuilder? Mm -hmm looked this guy was just astounding looking and, and he obviously was very he he pre-selected a certain genre of women who wanted that look so he did not mm -hmm. appeal to everybody but he had this availability of you know fitness chicks you know who would you know want to be with him and he was financially successful his whole model though of having a girlfriend was to immediately turn it into a soulmate situation mm -hmm. right um so you know so his persona that was very bravado macho 
as soon as you liked him a little bit and went on three dates, you know, you were, you were going to be the one mm -hmm. and he got dumped over and over and he could not figure out why for the life of him. Yeah. That's exactly what Jake used to do. He would, he would find these chicks and they'd be happy to sleep with them. Like same night lays. They were happy to be with them. But again, once he got into the second date or the third date, exactly what you're saying, it was, um, uh, this sort of verbal diarrhea where it's just like, you know, it spills his guts and lets it, you know, okay, baby, you know, I'm, you're the woman I've always looked for in my life. And, 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 you know, suddenly that any woman was a one-itis to him and he really wanted that really badly. And, but like, <laughs> the funny thing is, is like, he was so good looking, he would get like that higher tier women, higher tier woman. And the higher that woman is like on her sexual market value, the more I think expectations that that woman is going to have. So she's not just expecting the hot guy. She's expecting the hot guy with ambition. She's expecting the hot guy who is going to be an entrepreneur who's going to, you know, build something out of himself. There's gotta be some sort of value added along with that, with that guy. Um, and so he would get into that and then he would make the mistake. And I, I tried to coach him on this too. I, I would say, look, dude, breadcrumbs, man, you just got to leave freaking breadcrumbs and let them unravel you. Because once you, once you do that, you're not a mystery to them anymore. You know, you're never going to get anywhere with these chicks. I said, and then, you know, the girls that wanted to have something like long-term with him, they weren't good looking enough as the girls he was getting like on a nightly basis. So he could easily hook up with like a seven or six or seven and she'd probably be happy to, you know, live the rest of her life with them and, and just sort of, you know, coddle them along because she's so not unused to being able to get a guy who's probably one or two points above her mm -hmm. in SMV, but he didn't want those girls. He wanted the hot girl who was, you know, going to be his, his soulmate and going to be his one itis. And that is because, the dude had been taught from a very early age, all this Disney shit, all this Pollyanna stuff, all of this, you know, there's only one person in the world for you. And it was, it was so, I, the biggest fight I ever got into this guy with was over um, the fact that there is no one, like there's no soul, there is no soulmate. I'm telling him, I was like, look, dude, like all these girls, and I, I approved it to him. I said, how many girls have you been with that have been your soulmate already? <laughs> I said, they're, they're not your soulmate. I said, there's some good ones and there's some bad ones, but there is no one. And he just got really upset about that because he just, because that's the way they're brought up. And the blue pill really caused that incongruency in what would otherwise be a guy who was going to be very, very successful with women and in life in general too. I, I call it like a Disney prince complex. You know, there's a Disney princess, there's a Disney prince. Yes. yes. Know, and what I've seen, you've you pointed this out for, you know, even the guys that engage in, you know, I mean, I'm not a PUA guy, but obviously mm -hmm. there's, there's merit to being able to, you know, have a social interaction that goes your way. Right. But the, the sort of concept I think of, you know, like, what does it mean to be good with women? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not hard to get laid provided you check off a certain number of boxes. It's not an mm -hmm. impossible task. But you have these guys, especially the ones that have, you know, the alphaness, at least in terms of appearance, where I realized this when I was talking with my buddy, like he, he assumed like in bicep position, he was good with women because they were attracted to him. Mm -hmm. Sex was fairly easy. Mm -hmm. Relationship stuff, he could get bitched down to a corner within seconds and, you know, couldn't protest. Right. Yeah, so then, yeah, breaches bre this broader question of like, okay, if you're going to be good with women, is it, is it just the sexual dynamic of, you know, getting the girl to bed or is there everything else that comes after? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that initial stage of, improving yourself, getting your stuff together that way. I don't know that that's that difficult. One thing I've noticed now, and, and just to give you a little bit of personal background, yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to play in bands in the Hollywood 
uh, rock scene back in the late 80s and in the early 90s. I had had long, I had hair longer than yours, blonde down to my ass. Um, and I played in some, you know, semi-pro bands back in the day, but that was my shtick. I was in good shape, don't get me wrong, I was really, I was in really good shape, but it was like, I was, I had that, you know, really rail thin, um, uh, defini definition, but never really a bodybuilder. But my brother on the my younger brother um, was an uh, amateur circuit bodybuilder for a long time, and so we we were always kind of like going back and forth between you know each other's sort of social groups, and so you know in doing that, I, I became familiar with some of his friends who were also these very good looking guys who would hook up with these girls who. For them, if it was going to be a long-term thing, it was almost guaranteed that if the guy was really, really good looking, his girlfriend was going to be like one or two steps beneath him on, on sexual market value. Very few were there, did I see like, uh, you know, a fitness America, you know, contestant with a guy who was really yoked. I know that happens. And I see that all the time. I know that the, that definitely happens. But the guys that we were hanging out with at that time, it was guys who, again, were really incongruent with their their alphaness. They're very alpha on stage, and when they're amongst each other, and they're like, you know, you know, like guys, you know. But then, when as soon as they get with their girls, like, yes, honey, you know, and and their their women, as a as a result of that, became very very possessive of them. So if they were if they were going out with the guys, or if they had, you know, if they're out later than an hour, you know, from their curfew or whatever it was supposed to be, they were calling them up and saying, where are you, are you at the strip club, where are you, you know, it was really possessive, crazy jealousy, because those women knew that they had a guy that was, you know, a step above or two steps above where they were, and so it made them, made them almost crazier, and then that really fed in to the really unhealthy relationship between the between the really good looking guy and the sort you know not not bad looking woman but like less good looking on on a scale wise than that guy and so it kind of had this really negative feedback loop between the woman and the and the good looking guy because first of all she's jealous as hell she thinks that that everybody's out for her her man because I mean think about it you know in terms of hypergamy she's she's hit the jackpot you know and she doesn't want anybody grabbing her you know grabbing her man and so that sort of feeds into, you know, mate guarding from a, a woman's side of things. And then if the guy's already blue pill to begin with, what's he going to do? He's going to keep trying to find ways to, to go, okay, honey, it's all right. Don't worry. I'm not out there fooling around on you. I'll be home and, and turning into even worse, really turning into uh, a guy that she's not going to be able to respect no matter how good looking he is. You know, she's hot. She likes to have sex with him. But when you're living with that guy and he's constantly pandering to the girlfriend yeah and, and again it creates this really unhealthy negative you know feedback loop until the guy finally probably you know stops working out or he doesn't go out with his friends anymore he isolates himself more he puts on some weight he's not as good looking as he was before and now what is he he goes from being superman to being clark kent <laughs> and and she doesn't want that and then what does she do she goes off she cheats with the next guy who's better looking than him and that starts that shit all over again why? Because the guy doesn't have any congruency between his alpha physique and his alpha mindset. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I've, I've noticed this as of late where, you know, you've heard this, the suggestion of some guys where they'll tell you, like, you, you like get a girl that's less attractive than you, she'll be more loyal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've thought about that for, you know, I, I kind of mulled it over, but I realize there's something said in the sense that when you have that discrepancy in sexual market value, you have a guy, mm -hmm. let's say, is a, you have a guy that's an eight and mm -hmm. the girl that's a six, and she knows that she got way above her mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and women, you know, women know that. For the man, it's a sort of it's this 
not a delusion, but sort of this ignorance where you have this assumption of this girl's a six. Well, she's more loyal and mm-hmm. you know, she's more submissive. And she's not being that way because you are really leading the situation. She's that way because, you know, she hit the hypergamy jackpot. Yeah, because it's dread. Yeah, so th- yeah, there's, there's, there's less for you to do. And by your perception, it's like, oh, well, I found a better girl than the girl that's an eight. Mm-hmm. But the girl that's an eight, like you point out, she has higher expectations for you. Right. So you got a low expectation woman, you know, that got, you know, lucky essentially, essentially who she's going to fuck. Mm-hmm. Now you're in the situation where, despite that being the dynamic, you still screwed up because you're still within the BP mindset. Mm-hmm. But by your definition, for the guys I've seen, they, they think they did good. It's like, oh well, she's great, and I'm like, that's going to break down three or five, three, four, five, six years. It's you still have to slack off since you will because mm-hmm. you're keeping on your toes, and she starts to resent you for it. Right, right. Well, and then she, what happens is you're constantly trying to qualify to her in a sense that you are loyal and you're a good guy, especially for a guy like say like Jake or somebody or somebody who's already got this kind of one eyed inside. They're, they're, what, they're what I call pre-whipped. They're already, you know, before they even get into a relationship, they, they know what they want to do when they get into that relationship. So they're like, I'm going to do everything I can. Or, or, or usually it's a, it's like, I'm never going to be like the, the way my dad was with my mom and they're trying to be a better man by being more, obedient by being more submissive by being more what you know supportive but it's never really support it's just you know a guy sublimating his desires and his aspirations and his ambitions to make a woman feel like he's he's the guy that's going to be there and he's going to be the the super dutiful guy and i i was still <laughs> so i was talking to alan roger curry about this not too long ago it's all i said you know um Women don't want a man to cheat, but they love a man who could cheat. Mm-hmm. And if you couldn't, you get to the point where like you, like you start out your relationship and the woman knows you could cheat. And then you basically march it back and march it back and march it back until you, you, you lose her respect and you become a guy who could never cheat on her. And that's when she loses interest in you because there's no, there's nothing to keep that, that, well, first of all, the mystery and everything, but that, that kind of indignation or that, that kind of suspicion. I mean, I call it dread, but, um, and I think that there's really two kinds of dread. There's really overt dread, which I think guys sort of mistake as being, you know, in any, some way helpful. And in certain situations, it can be. And, and what I mean by overt dread is like giving ultimatums or, or telling your woman, say, hey, look, if you, don't, if you don't do what I say, I'm out, that kind of thing, like yeah. straight you know, back and forth. That's overt dread. And I know some guys can do that because they're in a position either financially or they're good looking enough or whatever um, to be able to pull that off. And, and I understand that, but I think really the more effective form of dread is passive dread. And that's when you are so good looking that women look at you and, you know, when you're at the, at a restaurant or you're out at a club or you're, you know, you're somewhere on vacation or something and women are looking at you and you're, you your woman is picking up on that. She sees a lot more subcommunications than, you know, than guys do for sure. Um, so when she sees that, that instills a passive dread. And what that means is that, you know, when somebody says, Hey, you know, uh, your man is really good looking, blah, 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 or he's really stepping up or he's really doing something. They, any kind of compliment becomes almost uh, a point of tension or point of anxiety. And it's like, and it's just third party dread. It's not you trying to initiate that. It's somebody else coming in from the outside. And I think that's always going to be much more, um, much more effective than direct. But when, 
when that's a constant thing, when a woman is, uh, you're saying if you're, if you're an eight and she's a six, and then there's this constant over and over and over again, where she's having to deal with, with women, you know, being attracted to her man. There's, it, it's interesting because I think when women want a guy who's like that, but yet they, there's a certain amount of insecurity that comes with a guy who's two steps above them. And so they're constantly dealing with mate guarding, first of all, and that's inspired by dread. And then it's like, they, they can't believe their luck, you know, on top of that, they can't believe that they're with this person. And they're, they're always trying to find ways to consolidate on that. And I can, I can't begin to tell you how many guys I know who have had accidental pregnancies with their six while he was an eight because she's trying to lock him down. And the only reason that happened was because he was just simply too stupid or too blue pill to understand that that was a possibility because he, you know, I think that, that when we're, when we're young, especially these days, when we're feminizing boys to become feminized young men, that we want to turn them into somebody who's going to be that ideal beta provider when they get older and they get to the point where a woman finally needs them. And I think that that sort of, it festers in a guy or it matures later on from being that kind of youthful, you know, idealism up to the point where they're going to be like this perfect, dutiful husband, no matter what the, you know, even if it's a single mother or whatever, but they're, they're already prepared for that. Like we were talking before, the guy is pre-whipped. He's already knows that he's going to get into that situation before he's even met a woman to get in the situation with. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, there's, yeah, I, there's something I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to toot my own, own horn here. I call it sort of like the Fabio effect for myself. Oh, yeah. Like having long hair, you know, just looking how I looked, I realized that I, I, I prompt a certain level of dread just even in approaching a woman. I've, I've had guys ask me, it's like, do you get more girls looking like you? I'm like, I get more female attention. But mm -hmm. the reality is that I, for the vast majority of women, when I, if I approach them and they have the presumption that I'm already better looking than them, my hair is nicer than theirs. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I can't hold on to them. I can't keep them. So that happens. So like the dread game is always present, whether I want mm -hmm. it or not. Mm -hmm. You know, what I've seen happen like my own family when, when the dread completely dissipates is it may, you've probably seen this too, where you have the guy where he's getting bitched up by his wife in some kind of argument mm -hmm. and that insult gets thrown out that, you know, no, who would want to be with you, but me. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like, I it, crack up when I and, and you know, what's funny is that's kind of, it's interesting how that sort of comes as a natural threat or a natural shaming, because when you hear something like that, it's almost always an, well, it's, it's a spoken recognition of what everybody sort of, you know, silently keeps to themselves, you know, and suddenly it's like, no, you, you're, you're never going to get anybody as good as me. That's, and that's a real, I think a lot of guys are again, pre preconditioned mm -hmm. to think that they're preconditioned to think that if they have a girl and she's, she has this, you know, perfect, what I call a genetic celebrity, she's a, a really good looking girl that, you know, is, is far above what he thinks is his league. And he on, you know, that's why guys like get into this habit of like self-deprecation about themselves. Like I say, Oh, I can't believe my wife or my girlfriend would, you know, lower herself to be with such a schmuck like me. And it doesn't matter if that guy's like, really, he might be, you know, right with her in, in sexual market value. She's an eight. He's an eight. That guy is going to self-deprecate himself anyways. And what he, and what happens is, is when he does that, he convinces her that he's not the guy that she should be with anyways, because Women, when it comes to guys, women 
pick guys that are uh, a complement to their egos, or they would like to anyways. When they're, especially with, their, with, with a good looking guy, what that says about that woman is that she's, I'm, she says that I'm the kind of girl that can get this kind of guy, right? So when you've got a woman who's like say a six and the guy's an eight, I think that that woman has a real tough time with that because she realizes that this guy is way above her, her own league. So she can't really play on that. And she can't really say, you're never gonna get anybody as good as me because they both know that that's not true. Um, but when you have uh, an eight and an eight or a nine and an eight, and the guy is constantly uh, self-deprecating, what he's doing is he's deprecating his own sexual market value. Because remember what we were talking about before, there has to be a fantasy that goes along with it. There has to be something more. There has to be value added to the guy that's, that goes beyond his good-looking you know, qualities. And so when you're constantly doing that, you're deprecating your own value. And, and the woman goes, well, you know, if I could find somebody better, then why wouldn't I go find somebody better? And really what it comes down to is when a woman is with a guy, that guy, like I said, is representative of the kind of guy that she can get. So like just a quick story here. I had a friend who was not the best looking dude in the world. He was actually a bass player in his band that I was in once. And he had a wife or he had a girlfriend and then his wife who became, who was really, I don't say abusive, but he would, she would really browbeat him. And you could tell he was the beta and she was the dominant partner in the relationship. Right. And so she'd constantly do that. And then right up until somebody in the band or one of his friends would come up and say, yeah, you know, would, would, would try to hit him up about his manhood, right? They say, ah, yeah, you, just, you, need to, you need to man up and stop being such a pussy, da, da, da. That was when his wife would go ballistic because oh. she would go, how dare you? He's more of a man than any of you guys and would co just come to his aid and just like, this woman who was just browbeating him half an hour before and you, if you talk even just slightly marginal shit about him, then she would jump up in front of him and say, he's more of a man than you and, and, and just start, you know, going in on, on how he, how great he is. And I, I got to thinking about that you know, once I was sort of more red pill and I go, you know what, that's because she's with this guy and she doesn't want other people to think that he is so much of a schmuck that she can't get anybody better because her ego is associated and intimately invested into the guy that she's with. So if the guy is constantly saying, oh, I'm so lucky to have you. I can't believe you would go for somebody like me. I mean, you say that enough times and yeah, she's going to believe that because she's making that association of, is this really the best kind of guy that I can get? And that I always say is, you know, it's, that's all comes back to hypergamy because hypergamy is based in doubt. And it's constantly this, like, I, have you seen the cartoon? I think it was a cartoon of um, uh, this woman. She's sitting naked on the bed, on the side of the bed. And laying down sleeping next to her is Superman because you can see a super suit, you know, hanging over the, over the chairs and stuff like that. And the caption is, is he really the best that I can get? <laughs> and I was like, that is, I wish, I don't know where it is right now, but um, I know exactly that, is, that is the perfect analogy of hypergamy. It's like, you can have Superman sleeping next to you in bed and women will still think, is this, can I do better? Can I get a little bit better than this guy? And really, again, like I was just saying, it's, it comes back to that ego association with the guy that she's with. Well, there's that social conditioning, like you said. I, I realize this, like, I mean, so much of the you know, female primacy narrative, but as a guy, just and for anyone that's grown up the last 40 years, it's been drilled into your head over and over again that you're so lucky to be with your wife. You're so right. lucky 
to be mm-hmm. the girl. I can't believe she chose me. She chose me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the, yeah, the, the woman is the one that apparently you know, was the executive decision in the relationship. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that gets put into you over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, and even for the guys that, you know, that, you know, like you said, embody themselves to be alpha, that, you know, lack this congruency, you, you undermine your whole relationship right. time and time out, time out, time and again. And at the same time, it, I, I've known, I've had, I've had male clients who are very hyper successful, money, mm-hmm. looks, st- status. They get into relationships with women where, you know, it's, you could call it a gold digger scenario, but she got the alpha who's going to provide everything for her. But he has that persona within him still of like, Oh, I got so lucky that she, you know, right. she appreciates me for me. Mm-hmm. And then she cheats on him with the guy that someone who is, you know, far below his status. Mm-hmm. You know, and, st- you know, status. and that's, and that's the, um, yeah, status wise. And that's the guy who goes, I can't believe she did this. I can't believe it. How it's just out of the blue. It just uh-huh. blindsided me. I couldn't, and she turned on me. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's that's an interesting dynamic as well, um, because when when guys are constantly deprecating themselves, they think that that is a way to to do two things. First of all, it's it's to boost their wife's um, their wife's esteem, right? They think that by 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 making themselves less, it makes her more. It doesn't. You make yourself less, and she wants you to be more. But we've been taught, and we've been conditioned by the blue pill and and just this feminization for the last four or five generations, to constantly defer to women. And we think that the more we defer and the more we identify with women, the more they're going to like us. And so there's never even a, a, an afterthought for these guys to think that maybe, hey, maybe I'm better. Maybe I'm the one that she's, she's lucky to be with me. And imagine those guys who are cocky enough to go and say, yeah, she's lucky to have me. And then of course, everybody laughs. Oh, you're a joke. But the fact of the matter is, is like, if you do that and you're being cocky enough, women like that. They like it because they know that this guy, if, even if it's irrational self-confidence, it's still self-confidence. And the guy you know, thinks more of himself than womankind. And I think that really, you know, from a very early age, uh, you know, boys as early as five years old are being taught to defer and to put wo- women, womankind, on a pedestal. So when the guy gets later on in life and he's married, what's he going to do? He's just going to take that same deference. He's going to apply it to his wife. You know, maybe it was his girlfriend. Maybe it'll be his daughter after that. But he's constantly deferring to the feminine or the, the fe- I call it feminine imperative, but, mm-hmm. but just making womankind above him. And so like, I, I, one of the most aggravating things for me is to listen to um, these evangelical Christian guys constantly refer to their wives as their brides. And they constantly say, I can't, you know, I'm so lucky that God put me with this woman because, um, because I'm, she's so much more, she's so much better than me. She's so much more closer to God. She's so much more, um, and she's so good looking. I mean, look at me, look at her. She's beautiful. I, you know, I'm trying to, to give her compliments, shower her with compliments, but those compliments don't mean shit from a guy who's down here and she's up here. So, and then the, the finally, the last thing I was going to say is that, um, the, uh, the, the whole thing about luck and the whole thing about fate and everything else, it goes back to women trying to be these unknowable creatures. And so therefore men have to go, well, you know, I don't know why she would be with me. So it must be God or fate, or I got lucky. I mean, that's what we even call it that. If you get laid, you would say, Hey, did you get lucky? Why, why are we saying it's not luck, man? Maybe it's skill. Maybe I actually know what the fuck I'm talking about. You know? 
We, we don't think of it in those terms because we're conditioned to think that a woman's sexuality is such a prize and it is such, you know, this high level thing that you can, you know, the, it, it feeds guys egos because some chick wanted to have sex with them. I mean, like, get the fuck out of here, man. I mean, this has been happening for, you know, a hundred thousand years. Men and women have been coming together and having babies and stuff like that. It's not luck. Okay. There's something else. There's something else to it. It was not luck, but we call it luck and we call it like some sort of supernatural metaphysical reason. And I think that guys even defer back to that because they think that if they do that, then first of all, it's some kind of insurance that their woman's not going to leave them like you were talking about before. And then second of all, it's, it, it, again, it goes back to this unknowability of women. I just, you know, I, I've had guys, I've had older guys come to me and they'll, they'll elbow me and they'll, they'll talk about women. Like, Hey women, I guess we'll never figure them out. Oh, <laughs> it wants you to, to laugh along with that. I'm like, no, dude, I got them pretty, I got, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I think I've got this pretty much figured out. It's you who don't, and you're 65 or 70 years old and you haven't figured it out yet. So maybe that seems cute and endearing to your wife, but it's not cute and endearing to anybody else. Yeah, I, I keyed on that recently. I mean, I have a weird background. So I, I was yeah, from 16 to 21, roughly. I was in like, I grew up around women like ballet world dance. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. all the time. Um, yeah, and I, I call it the land of women because I was in a position where they weren't changing their behavior because I was there. Mm -hmm. So you see women talk to them how they, how they are themselves. And that, I mean, honestly, women were, that was the thing that red-pilled me more than anything else because I realized all the, you know, Disney Prince delusions I had from, let's say, you know, being born to age about 15, mm -hmm. it just got destroyed. Um, <laughs> it just got completely wrecked sideways well, you know, in a good way. But, that, yeah, that's going to be one of the, that point of women being unknowable. Mm -hmm. I didn't find, after a while, I didn't find them mysterious at all. It was most yeah. predictable set of behaviors I because, I, yeah, I, I think more women are implicit, but mm -hmm. seeing that now, and I, I get that from guys now, can you ever really understand women, who, you know, like what you just said, who truly knows? Yeah, yeah you can. It's pretty obvious. They tell you what they're going to do all the time. There, there's, not, there's not mystery to this. You know, um, Stephen Hawking's just died. And it's funny because when he died, the first thing that came to my mind was this quote that I, I remember you know, distinctly, I went, went back and, and copied it and put it in a tweet and it says, uh, the greatest mysteries of the universe is woman, right? Is a woman, right? And I'm like, here's this dude who is probably the, one of the highest IQs on planet. I mean, he's up there. I don't know if this is a fact or not, but he's up there with Einstein. Okay. The guy is freaking smart. Still, the guy is deferring to women because that is what he was taught from very early age. Don't try to figure them out. Nobody can know women. And, and again, so what do we do? We say, well, it must be fate or it must be, I can't figure them out. So it must be the gods are smiling upon me. And, and I, I got with this woman. And let me ask you something. So I know you, I know you do, I know you do ballet. Does, any, does everybody ever give you shit and call you Kip Winger? No, actually not. <laughs> you know who Kip Winger is though, right? No. Okay. Kip Winger, Kip Winger was the bass player and uh -huh. a singer for, for the band, the heavy metal band. Winger, I don't even call him heavy metal, the, the rock, butt rock band wing, winger, right? Mm -hmm. And long haired dude. And the guy, once, once his sort of musical career was over, he went to ballet and he started huh. doing ballet dancing and stuff. And so people would say, oh gosh, right, winger, you know? And I, I just, I'm just wondering if they were going to, if somebody no, ever I, gave you grief about being Kip, because he got the long hair and everything. Yeah. And I was like, oh. No, I had no idea. I mean, I, I get called <laughs> so much all the time. You know, you know WWEBI is Tarzan, Fabio. Yeah, yeah, I know. I get, what well, you know, it's funny you should say that. I just give you a background about myself too. Like I was yeah. saying, I, I, you know, when I was in my, 
gosh, from the time I was about 16 till right about 30 years old, I had hair at least as long as yours, maybe a little bit longer. And it was, I bleached it blonde all the time. And that was my thing. That was my look. And my game at that time, you know, I didn't know what game was. Of course, you know, this is way, you know, we're talking like late, well, I just say early nineties. Um, my game was going to a, going, you know, for the longest time I was very, very blue pill in, in my, my high school years. And then I had a girlfriend, got my soul crushed by the, you know, cause she was my one itis. I went through all that stuff. Wow. And then later, you know, I was, I was living in, uh, I was living in Hollywood at the time. So I'm like, why wouldn't I, you know, I was a musician. I'm like, why wouldn't I go out there and do it? Um, and I certainly wasn't in music to make a lot of money. <laughs> it was because I could, I could regularly go out and I could get laid. And that was what I was really mostly focused on. And it was fun to go out there and, you know, I mean, I thought that I didn't love the music. I do love the music, but it was, you know, if there was a purpose, a latent purpose for it, it was so I could get laid. And um, I did exactly the same thing you did. Like when I, when I would go out there and I would get uh, IOIs or indicators of interest from, from women all the time. And it was very easy. It, it became almost like mechanical after a while mm -hmm. because I would see some chick, she would give me that look and I would know the look and then she'd hold the, you know, the eye contact for a beat longer. I'd go over and talk to her. Hey, how's it going? And whatever I had, I'm, I, I would, I, I wasn't really a big drinker back then. And so I might have one drink in my hand for the whole night because first of all, I'm a starving musician. I got no money. And so it's probably something, probably a drink some other girl bought me and I'd have that drink. And so I'd nurse the thing the whole night and I would be, you know, chatting up a girl at a bar and I'd, I'd leave my drink on the, on the, on the bar and I say, Hey, I got to go do my set. I'm going to go play my set, watch my drink for me. Right. And if I will come back and, the drink, and she was still there with the drink, I knew I was getting laid that night. <laughs> it was, it became that easy to do. Um, but again, I got the same thing. Oh, you're Fabio. And people, you know, guys want to give you grief because you know, here you are, you got long blonde hair and you, you're living a lifestyle that's, you know, seems pretty, you know, pretty freewheeling, I guess. But guys, you know, guys want to give you grief and they want to talk shit about you. And I think that's another, that might be actually a pretty good topic to talk about is I think that good looking dudes, um, I think sort of in this day and age, I mean, because remember, I've, I've gone from like the, you know, the late 80s all the way up to where we are now. And I think that the better looking a guy is right now, um, I think at least in the manosphere, they, they tend to get, I think, some un i don't know some uncalled for you know criticism just because they're good looking you know like um most guys especially the guys from uh, pickup artists hate or the guys that go in they try to learn game and it doesn't work for them because they for whatever reason they they didn't do whatever they were supposed to be doing and the the game didn't work for them so what do they say they say oh well you're good looking of course it's going to work for you and of course you're going to of course you're going to get laid and so there's that kind of that kind of hate side of it too that goes along with the guy who's good looking so i think first off um if there's a good looking woman or there's a good looking guy uh we tend to want to disqualify that guy if we if we're walking down the street and you're walking with your girlfriend or you're in a group of girls or you're in a mixed sex group of people and a good looking guy walks by and the women start going oh yeah hey he's 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 hot you know whatever and they start talking amongst themselves what's the first thing that guys say we must be gay, right? Now, only guys that good looking are, are gay. But what, what is that? You know what that is? is that's um, in, in, intrasexual combat is what that is. It's disqualifying that guy from the breeding pool by saying, well, yeah, it's good looking, but too bad he's gay because he wouldn't want to have anything to do with any of you girls, you know, because he only likes guys. And what do women do 
when a good-looking woman comes into that situation, they get all catty and snotty and bitchy, and they go, oh, I bet she's a slut. Ooh, how could she wear that? You know, and mm-hmm. all this, and then for them, it's even, more, it's even worse because there's all this subcommunication that goes on along with that. But what are they doing? They're disqualifying that really good-looking girl from the breeding pool, for the mating pool, because if she's a slut, she's not worth investing your time in, or maybe she has a disease, or maybe she would just cheat on you anyways. And they're trying to pre- predetermine what that because they know that this as a sexual competitor this woman outclasses all of them Mm -hmm. so they have to find some way to disqualify her from guys going up to her and investing themselves into that and so i think that like even today in the um, in the manosphere there's sort of i think that kind of goes on but um in other ways i think that uh there's a a side of the manosphere and i think i would really call you probably part of this too there's that Mm -hmm. fitness side of it where guys are like, you know, here's how you get a six pack. Here's how you, uh, you know, uh, here's your nutritionist. Here's and the, the great thing I think about Manosphere today is we have such uh, a breadth of different guys who can help in different aspects of the Manosphere in game and in, in working out in finances and that. You know, I'm I'm glad you're coming to the. Uh, to, like I said, I told Anthony, I said you really need to call AJ because. No. Because uh, he's gonna, he has a side of of the manosphere that I think we could really use in, in all of this. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as as far as the uh, the good looking stuff is concerned, as far as guys, you know, um, being hot guys, uh, I always get into, and maybe you know this too, but I always get into um, these comment threads on my on my blog about how. It's always good. It's, it's nothing but looks. It's only looks are the only thing that matter. And if you're a good looking guy, you're going to be okay. You're going to find women. You're going to be all right. And then if you're not good looking, well, then you better make a lot of money or you better do something else. It's never game. It's never any kind of like, it's never mindset stuff. It's always about something extrinsic. It's always good look, you know, good looks or having a lot of money or, you know, and I, I tell guys, I've got a couple of uh, essays. One of them is called uh, looks count. And the other one is called have a look. And that have a look really kind of goes back to what we're talking about, have a, a character. You know, women are looking for kind of a character. And a guy, it's, you can't just be a regular guy guy. You have to be, you know, uh, you have to be tribal tattoo guy, or you have to be long-haired guy who's a ballet guy, or you have to be, um, you have to have some sort of, of character that you're playing, a tough brother from the city or you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then there's the looks count side of things where I tell guys, I said, look, you know, be good looking, you know, be attractive, um, have affluence or have game. I said, if you have two of those, you probably be okay. If you can have only one of those, only have the game is the most important part of that is to have, have your mindset straight. Cause I, I've seen guys, you know, go up and pick up and swoop on girls, really good looking girls and pull them away from really good looking guys because they had more going for them. They had their, their, they would present a feeling. They started, you know, creating an emotional connection with that woman that even the hot guy wasn't necessarily doing. You know, once you get past that attraction point, what do you have past the attraction point? And so that's why I think that game is the most vital aspect of that. But being good looking or having a lot of money, what I, what I think about those is I think that those are aspects of a guy that can cover for other deficits, okay? So like I was telling you before with Jake, yeah, so if, if the guy's really good looking and he's super beta, well, his good looking, his, his looks 
can cover that deficit. It can cover the fact that he doesn't have game or that he's kind of blue pill. It's still going to get him laid. It might not get him a long-term girlfriend, but it's still going to get him laid. And there's guys that always tell me, oh, you got to have a lot of money. Well, chicks only care about money or they only care about power or something like that. And I'm like, well, when I was 22 and I had like two fucking dimes to rub together and I had a beat up white pickup truck and, you know, the only value, the only assets I had was my, my amps and my guitars or something like that. I was get I was, I was slaying pussy, you know, left and right back then because I had what these women wanted. It wasn't about, you know, uh, it wasn't about the kind the amount of money that I had. It was who I was at that point and those kind of women who wanted to get with me. So, you know, and then just what you were saying a minute ago, the affluence and the money is not an insurance policy against, you know, your wife going and fucking pool boy because she's hot for that guy and she happens to be in the right phase of her ovulation and she wants to go after it. Um, I'm thinking it's better, it's much better to have, you know, to have all of that, really. I mean, you want to be the complete package. You want to have everything. I'm not saying you have to necessarily do that for women, but getting women, if you are the complete package, if you got, if you got your ambition together and you got your life together and you're good looking and you keep your, you know, keep your physique going and you've got game and you're red pill aware and you've got all this stuff. Maybe you're not doing that for a woman, but a woman is going to be a byproduct of that because you have put yourself together. So uh, that's another thing. I, I, I kind of wish we had, we had some, some calling questions or something yeah. because it's like, um, you know, guys give me grief about this all the time. And I say, no, you, you, you need to have some way to cover def deficits in, in other areas. So like my looks at the time when I was in my mid twenties covered the deficit of me not having any money and not having any, you know, I mean, I was, I was playing that role but it covered that deficit. Um, when you get a little bit of money, maybe that money covers another deficit for you. It could be personality or whatever. Like I see so many guys who are uh, these really super alpha male guys and they're alpha in the military or they're alpha in business, right? But as soon as they walk in the door to see their wives, they turn into these little sniveling little beta guys because they're taught to defer to women. So I think really, well, what I'm trying to say here is that you need to have congruency. You need to have congruency between your good looks and your game, and then really your affluence and your own ambitions. And I think really the where that starts is making yourself your own mental point of origin. Mm -hmm. You need to be the one that you think of first, and then you think of other people. I'm not saying be an asshole and be selfish and any of that stuff. I'm saying that you need to do that first, and then you can help somebody else. And I've said this before, as I'm a very um, a proponent of enlightened self-interest which means i i can't help anybody until i can help myself first you know they tell you when the the uh, the oxygen masks come out of the the air the airplane when they're you know decompression they tell you to put the mask on yourself first and then put it on somebody else because you can't help anybody if you're already passed out so that's really i think making sure that you're your first order of thinking and then you know working that into your ambition, working that into your looks, working that into other aspects of your life. As long as you're making yourself your first priority, you know, are you doing it for winter? Are you doing it for, are you doing it for self or are you not doing it for self? Yeah, I, I've used the archetype model at times for that, where, you know, the, the kind of, you know, the one I've used like a lot, like the king archetype, where this would be, it speaks to guys on a level where you have to be able to lead yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're not leading yourself, then all other trappings fall apart from that. Uh, you know, I was in a position you know, myself even a few years back when I was uh, you know, 23, 24, I was living on my car, pretty much broke. 
I never had problems getting female attention. Bring girls. I, I would. I remember there was one point I was sleeping on somebody's couch and I lay was out and I told the girl I'm like, yeah, I'm out of place right now. Well, we can go back to my place. It wasn't. It wasn't an issue. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I had the. I had the. I had the inner game confidence. Yeah. You know, for things like the. For things like the the money or the looks or all that, it's. I realize these guys. Since I've gotten this question too, you know, where guys ask, "Well, you, you know, I've said the same criticism. Well, you, well, you're really good looking, so you know, it's easy for you." I'm like, "No, I could be super beta, and it wasn't easy, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing." You, you create mm-hmm. these false dichotomies mm-hmm. to essentially protect your own ego of why you think you're failing. Right. You know, if you had money, then it'd be easy for you. Well, if you were six five, then it'd be easy for you. Mm-hmm. It's not. You know, women are not women are not universally attracted to all men. I think I wrote an essay about this that I think Craig James published. Uh, it was like late last year, but I, I essentially I hit upon the concept of, you know, when you have like an archetype of personality where you're a musician and you take that, you know, to the edge where like mm-hmm. you're that guy. So you have game, you're a musician. That's attractive whether you are successful as a musician or not successful. Right. Right. You, you play, have, play to your strengths. Yeah. You have a persona to you. Well, the same thing if you're, if you're an artist and you paint. The same thing if you're, you know, a ballet dancer. That, that's intriguing to people. Same thing if you're high powered, you know, military. That, that has a personality to where women are going to assume Women will, the women, I, I think they'll, they'll sort of drop down an alpha, sort of, a, sort of an alpha setting of characteristics upon whatever the personality is. Mm-hmm. And whether the guys, whether he's artistic, whether he's business, whether he's powerful, whether he's high status, they want to have the expectation that's going to have this, this essentiality of alpha traitness with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then when you don't back that up, though, then yeah, like you said, you go back to the incongruency factor, which if you, you know, the thing I tell guys now, or I, yeah, I'm, I'm an inner game model in that way, where I don't really worry. I don't focus. I'm not a game guy. I'm not pick up artist. I'm not going to tell you how to talk to girls. If you don't develop your own masculinity as your own origin point, where you have a you know, general balance, let us say, of physically, physically being confident, being able to communicate, putting yourself first, mm-hmm. having at least some stability where you, know, you can lead yourself, mm-hmm. then it, women are always going to be frustrating to you because they're always going to be revealing your deficits. Right. Well, when you look at, and I, it's, this would probably deserve a little bit of explanation here, because I, I get I get uh, asked about this quite a bit. But in my, in my second book, um, I have a post or I have a, a chapter in there called Mental Point of Origin, and I always have to sort of to not redefine that, but sort of build that up, because guys think, oh well, it just means making yourself first or being selfish or being. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's so much more than that, because. Most guys or most boys today from the time that they're like five years old are taught to defer to women. They're taught to be of use and utility to the mom, to carry the girl's books home from school, um, to, you know, don't beat up, don't, don't, never hit your sister, don't hit a girl. Um, and then that builds from there. And I'm not saying hit a girl. I'm just saying that that's what guys are, what, what boys are taught. And as a result of that, layer upon layer upon layer of of this deference to women and womankind you you god forbid you wouldn't want to be seen as anything other than supportive of women because you don't want to give anyone the impression that you're a misogynist you don't want to say that well you're you're a real prick or you don't respect women that's that's the best one you don't respect women well mm-hmm. i can i can we can do a whole show on respect <laughs> but um but seriously what happens is you you boys are taught from a very early age to put layer upon layer upon layer of deference to to women and womankind. And as a result of that, it is removing boys to men, um, their, their self image and making themselves important and concerning themselves with their ambitions because they have to sacrifice more. And, and 
I mean, even Dr. Jordan Peterson does into this quite a bit. He's, he's all big about sacrifice. Uh -huh. And I'm, I'm of the opinion that sacrifice needs to be, you need to do some uh, return on ROI on, on the idea of sacrifice. Um, but we're, we're constantly taught to sacrifice. We're constantly taught, we're already think of ourselves as disposable anyways. Uh, and so you've got this constant deference to, to the female and it just, again, like it keeps going and going and going to the point where by the time a kid is, I would say, even maybe as early as 12, maybe 14, um, that kid already puts women and girls and the interests of girls as his, the first thing he thinks of when a situation arises. If we're going to make a decision to all of us go out to, uh, you know, we're going to have pizza or we're going to go have a movie what's the, the first thought that comes to that kid's mind is what is the girl going to want to do? What is she going to, not what I want to do. What is the girl going to want to do? You know, how can I help the girl? How can we, how can we make whatever the girl wants to do happen? And like, you know, the classic, uh, the classic thing where it's like the girl says, where do you want to go? And the guy says, I don't know where do you want to go. I don't know where do you want to go? That kind of stuff. That is exactly what I'm talking about because the guy, if, if they ever get, if you ever find yourself in that situation where you go into a restaurant and you say, okay, I want to go to uh, this Mexican restaurant. She goes, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. Okay, I want to go to this Italian restaurant. Nah, I don't know if I want to do that. And, and okay, well, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? The reason that you're even in that discussion is because you've made yourself, or you should say you've made women your mental point of origin because you're thinking about that person first. You're not saying, hey, you look, I'm going to go to this Mexican restaurant. If you want to come along, you can. If not, fuck it. I don't care. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go and you're, you're in my frame. You're in my world. I like comes back to frame again. But, uh, yeah. You're, you're going to do, here's, here's the offer. I'm going to, we're going to go rock climbing this weekend. Are you in, you know, and, and thinking that you're going to go do that no matter what you're going to have fun. But I think that that is a good illustration of mental point of origin. If your first thought is how will this decision affect a woman, that is your mental point of origin. She is your mental point of origin. Womankind is your mental point of origin. Whatever. I'm not saying don't think about other people, but I'm saying that the first thought should be, what do I want to do this weekend? Hey, maybe I want to take so-and-so with me, right? So you're thinking about your, your first decision, your first mental point of origin, the origin of which your thoughts originate come from you. And not from not from someone else, and I think that's probably the single hardest thing I have to deal with when I when I'm doing consults with guys, or when they ask me for for advice, or what do you think is the worst thing going on? You know what that we're teaching our boys today. That is the worst thing that we're teaching boys today is to not to make themselves their mental point of origin, because naturally, most men and most guys, uh, young boys even, put themselves. As first, they think, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, because they're, they're out there, they're alpha, they're on the playground, they're going to do whatever the fuck that they want to do. And then it takes a society and a media and, and a feminine imperative, it takes all of these extrinsic social forces to push himself out of his mental point of origin and to put womankind into his mental point of origin. And that, I think, is the number one thing that if, if guys are going to unplug, that is the first step is to make yourself, it's to think of yourself before you think of yourself. Yeah, you know, there's a meta point to this that I find interesting. Where, yeah, I, I had the, I was on a date a number of weeks back where the girl I, did, I didn't didn't go any past anywhere past a few dates wasn't interesting. But we had this conversation on on our first date and it was in the, in the car. Where I basically told her I'm like, you know what, like we're going on a fancy date. I'm gonna take you out. And actually, I wrote an email about it. I'm like, I had a, it was a good, it was a fun time. 
-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I planned that out. There was no, I just told her we're going to do this. And you know, that, that night going back to her place, she, you know, we brought up a conversation. She's like, I love that you just told me what I was going to do. I, I didn't have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had that. I've had so many women tell me that over the years. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that you make the plans. I'm hope so happy to have to choose. I love that you essentially are the one picking the direction all the time. Because you're decisive and you're the yeah. dominant man. And that's what women are looking for. It's, and even the ones, even the feminists who say that they're not, you put a guy in that situation, you, you look at, you look at women who, tend to be dominant personalities, I'll guarantee you they had a weak father, I'll guarantee you, or an absent father entirely, and they don't understand that what they're really looking for is they're looking for a man to take charge. They're looking for a guy to make the, to, you know, make the reservations for dinner, to you know, make the reservations for whatever they're going to do, um, to have a plan. Uh, one thing I tell younger guys, like uh, if I get like a 16 year old kid asking me, you know, Hey, how do I make an approach? How do I do this? I, you know, I'll go into some detail, but I'll say, what are you going to do? What do you want to do first? I said, what if she says, yes, what's your plan? Do you have a plan after that? I would 90% of these kids. Are, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, dude, you need to have some sort of, some sort of, you know, scheme and, and assume the sale, assume, you know, uh, we'll always be closing, you know, well, once you close, where are you going to go? You know, what are you going to do about that? And yeah, exactly. I think that's that decisiveness. I, I tell a story quite often. Uh, I think I even told, a, I saw you on Jesse Peterson, by the way. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I was on with him, I think the week before you or the week after you. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things Jesse asked me, especially with the regard to this was about, you know, male dominance and um, just being not even so much assertive, but just having your, having your shit together and knowing what you're going to do and like making yourself, you, you know, having a woman come into your frame. That's what, what you were just talking about is when a woman expresses her appreciation of that, she expresses that appreciation comes from you having your own world for her to enter into that she wants to be a part. She actively wants to be a part of it. And those are the beginnings, I think, of some very healthy relationships. But I told Jesse this um, when I met my wife. Uh, up, up until that point, all the women that I had met and I'd gone out with in any kind of long-term sense had always had their own cars. And if they did, they were the ones that were driving the car. Right. And so if it was, you know, we're going out, we're in my car, I drive going out, she'd be driving. And I never really thought about this because again, I was sort of in that egalitarian equalist kind of mindset rather than a dominant masculine mindset. And then when I met my wife, we were going out one time and we were taking her car and she hands me the keys and I'm like, Okay. You know, I just went, I just went with it. Right. I'm, like, oh, I'm going to go with this. And, um, later on, you know, after we'd been going out for a while, I said, you know, you always hand me the keys. I've never had anybody hand me the keys to do, you know, when we were, when we were dating before she's like, yes, cause I expect you to be the man. I expect you to be the one who's, you know, driving the car and drive. And that was really has been kind of a metaphor for my entire relationship with my wife. I have been driving the car for us ever since. And I, I think that that is really what, you know, on a, subconscious hindbrain limbic level i think that that's really what most women are looking for in a guy and i i, I say this too it's like it's not even so it's dominance for sure but it's competency it's having a guy who's competent about a lot of things like a guy who can change a tire and can you know uh, you know go out and mow a lawn and go out and build a house and have be competent at a, a great many things be a you know a amateur plumber when he needs to be you know go fix things around the house and fix things with her and fix things with, you know, her family and that kind of, you got to have this, this overarching uh, competency. And I really think that that's written into women's uh, evolutionary 
you know, psyche, they're into their firmware, that they're looking for a guy who can do all of that. And God forbid, you're the kind of guy that goes, well, I don't know how to fix the plumbing. I got to call somebody to come and help me do that. Or I got to, I got to seek out an expert for something. And if, if that's your first, if that's your first impulse is to find somebody to do it for you rather than you do it yourself, I think that that is sort of a hit to your competency when you're with yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think the, the main point I was going to make where you, you said, yeah, I'm talking about how men make them their middle point of origin. Mm-hmm. When you're constantly asking women for like what the plan is, you know, like, yeah, like I said, the young boys, you get this point where the first thing you think of is the girls. What if they don't like the place where we're going to go eat? You're putting yourself into this incompetent role immediately. Right. So there's that factor. And at the same time, you're putting yourself into a position where the only way a woman can make you competent is to try to make use of you. And at the same time with that as well, I mean, this multi-layer, your ability to lead yourself is compromised since you've assigned, you've assigned women the role of being the planners to your own life. Mm-hmm. So, and you see that with, you know, like the whole blue pill narrative plays out where many, I, I, mean, I have a lot of guys contact me where they're trying to, you know, kind of unplug themselves. And it's, it's this unwrapping process where their whole sense of their being is predicated with the woman's role in like the narrative where mm-hmm. well, if I meet the girl, then she says this to me, then she, you know, she chooses me. I, I was having this argument you know, on Twitter a few days ago where this idea where like, where w- women's are the ones that select for sex. I'm like, I don't know that I fully agree with that. You can say like, okay, well, you know, she let me sleep with her. I'm like, if no one chooses her, mm-hmm. she's not getting slept with by anybody. Right. Now, obviously men are always going to, you know, men are always going to want pussy. So you could mm-hmm. say, well, you must have the upper hand. I'm like, I think we, we give them that and we condition that into ourselves, mm-hmm. and even in the unplugging process. If you can imagine if a woman gets no attention at all, and that's the thing, women know this too with their SMV. A girl that gets no attention, she's not having the pick of the litter where any guy's going to be with her. It's whoever comes up to her. Yeah. yeah, She has to take what she can get is what it is. Yeah, and, and you're right about that. I think that when, again, it's part of that being pre-whipped kind of thing, it always from, I mean, think about it this way. I've, I've got this post right now, and it's it's sort of an essay that um, analyzes how boys are raised from, a, from you know, very early age to, to where, you know, it's young men, and how that's primarily molded by women and the feminine. Because if you look at the amount of teachers, you know, the, the ratio of men to, to women teachers, um, that... I think it was in even the United States, I think 77% of all teachers in the United States are female. And what are they doing? They're teaching, you know, boys as if they're defective girls. And part of that is, is in that, again, and again, that, that deference to the feminine deference to, you know, womankind, because even today we're, we're teaching those kids, you know, as if they are potential rapists or they could potentially be toxically masculine guys if we don't intervene and, and, and create, you know, what I call the village. If the village doesn't come in and intervene, we're going to have just this generation of rapists. So mm-hmm. we're presuming that. And in that education, we, we sublimate, well, first of all, masculinity and, and the male gender to begin with. They, like I said, they're treated as if they're defective girls, but they're also treated as if they are defective, meaning that they're not born as good humans. Yeah, good human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I used to probably saw that. But um, you know how they say boys will be boys, and they scratch out boys and put boys will be good humans. Well, what that implies is that those boys were not born good humans, and they need womankind to mold that, that boy into a good human. Um, 
which I think is tragic because we don't have enough male teachers and we don't have enough, you know, positive masculine uh, <clears throat> men to, you know, buck the trend and just basically say, you know what, screw you. I'm going to teach this kid how to be, how to be masculine and you guys just going to have to deal with it. I've um, seen that in the fitness sphere with the, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a progressive social justice invaded fitness like everything else. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm on the outs in that industry pretty much, mm -hmm. but there is a, I think that's, that's interesting. Anyway, go ahead. There's this trend towards guys where, you know, some so gentlemen I know in the fitness industry have gotten successful where they're, you know, they're kind of presenting themselves as a male role model now. Mm -hmm. But the emphasis is not on being a good man. It's on, well, let's just be, let's just be good humans. It's not about masculinity for me. It's about being a good human because we're all, you know, equal. And it goes down, you know, sort of the red, the upper pill, but it's very blue pill. And even the guys that you could say are somewhat more masculine, they go sort of the purple pill route where they want to be university appealing. And, you know, we don't want to, right upset the balance so to speak so they have to keep the message very watered down and right. still definitely well they they want to be allies is what they want to be they want to seem like they're and that, again that goes back to the um the the deference to women like a lot of guys when they have their i would say everybody has game okay everybody from the most rank beta to the least omega guy he has some kind of idea how to go from being a lonely schmuck to being in a relationship or in intimacy with a woman. Whether or not that's effective, obviously it's not, <laughs> but whether or not that's effective um, is, is in question, but everybody has a game. So like you got these guys who've been brought up like in this feminine primary social order and they have a game, just like you're talking about here. They think that by identifying with a woman and getting in touch with their feminine side and emoting like a woman and doing all these things that make them more alike like like with a woman um they that's what i call identifying with that to the point where they'll change their personalities and change their lives and change their ambitions so that they can better align with the feminine because they think that that's the key to them getting laid i think that's a key to them getting in, in a healthy you know egalitarian uh relationship and then <laughs> what's funny is like when guys are unplugging from that and they decide, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be more masculine. And I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm not going to try to be alike with a woman. I'm going to try to be different than a woman. Then suddenly they find out that, you know, they're very much, they're so much more attractive because it's the differences that draw us together. It's not that how much alike. A woman doesn't want to, unless she's a lesbian, a woman doesn't want to go and fuck another woman. She doesn't want to live or marry another chick. She wants to be with a guy. There's that difference in that. And I think that we do ourselves a really big disservice today by believing that like attracts like, and that we try so much to, to run what I call identity game or to identify with women. And that's why I said that um, these guys don't, yeah, they want to be good humans, but they think that the definition of being a good human is to be more like a woman. And that's why they become allies. And that's why they become male feminists because it's no guy wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what? Women have really had it hard. I think I'm going to be a feminist today. There, there's a process that that guy has to go through to come to the idea that he's better off as a male feminist than not as a male feminist. What is it that brought that guy to think in that, in that respect? And what I would, I would argue is that it is this want to align with women to want to be more alike with women because they think that that is the key to establishing some kind of intimacy or establishing some kind of intimate sexual connection with a woman and that's probably a long-winded way of saying well feminists just aren't feminists because they want to get laid right 
Well, well, yes, but there's a whole lot more that goes along with that. When, you know, you got to understand these guys are like literally reprogramming their personalities because they believe so, you know, fervently in that. Well, there's a the thing I've raised. It's, it's dangerous about. There's a there's a morally righteous. There's yeah. a moralization <laughs> component to it where yeah, you've seen this where it becomes well, if to be a good man, where you know they, they're going to rewrite the definition of masculinity. To be a good man, you have to be a male feminist, and this this makes you good. These are these are essentially like their commandments, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, and to violate that, it's not just a violation of you know you not liking women. It means you know you're you're evil. Mm-hmm. You're evil for not thinking this way. Yeah, yeah, and the most fervent of them. And then again, you know, think about the opposite side of that. If they don't identify with a woman, then it's this really this binary, you know, equation at that point. If I don't, then I'm going to be. If I'm not an ally of feminists, I must be a misogynist, right? Mm. Uh, You you can't. There's that goes pretty much with any kind of really strict, you know, movement type ideology where it's it's one or the other it's black or white and that's and that's that's true of a lot of different different ideologies but um if if you're wanting to avoid that i you know a lot of a lot of guys will say like i don't, I don't want to think about myself first i want to make sure that i'm 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 there for her and i'm supportive and i'm doing this because if they don't do that she'll think i'm an asshole she'll think i'm a jerk she'll think i'm a selfish dude and i'm like and i tell these guys that what's the kind of guy that she's been fucking all this time that she's been calling you on the phone and telling you what a jerk and what an asshole this guy is, but she keeps going back to that asshole, you know? It's a very common problem with these guys. You know, they end up becoming this emotional tampon for these girls. But the guy that this woman is with is the polar opposite of the guy she keeps saying that she wants to get with. And I would say, you know, it's the difference that it was, uh, I think it was Royce said that the key to a healthy relationship is polarity. It's mm-hmm. being different and it's having and re- maintaining your own identities and having that one, having that world or having that frame that that woman wants to come and enter into. And that is what I was talking about before, about how a woman, when she gets with a guy, it's very ego satisfying for her to know that she can get that type of guy. And the man that she's with, I don't, I really think that guys don't really wrap their heads around this entirely, that they represent the best that that girl could get. And if you're, if, if that's not true, then she's going to find somebody else or she's go, you're going to be in a very unhappy situation. Even if she doesn't go look for somebody else, she's still going to think she could get better. And that's not going to make for a very healthy relationship, specifically when she wants somebody who's competent and she wants somebody who's dominant to make those decisions. Yeah, I mean, well, that's kind of, you see that like, well, I, I refer to this a lot where, uh, I, had, I had a periscope about this the other day, but I was talking like the Harlequin fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Harlequin romance novel. Mm-hmm. The, the theme, for, for all of the amount of, for the, to the degree that feminism has tried to subvert the social reality, the female fantasy never changes still. You can see that, you know, you see it with, the, with those novels, you can see that in film. But what do women fantasize about? It's, yeah, man, that there, there's, compliment, there's complementarity to polarity. Mm-hmm. It's always a hyper yeah, 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 yeah. masculine guy that is at of a sort of higher status level than her, but somehow they're equally attractive in some way. But she, has, she sort of has, it's always that interesting factor of like the, the undiscovered sexual market value. Mm-hmm. Like the beautiful girl, uh, you know, sexually, like, you know, unruined, untouched, all men want her, hasn't been with anybody. And then the rogue, the dashing, you know, the, the pirate, the hero, he comes in and he is enraptured by her. And she is the one now that she, he, 
she is the one that he has to have. So the one night is right. still there, but at the same time you have this preservation of, well, he is, he, he is the men among men. So I got my alpha at the same time. Right. Yeah. And because that's he, never he, he represents the apex to her hypergamy and all of those, the, the classic romance novel is always a guy who is a, a beast. It's like beauty and the beast. Uh, it, Jordan Peterson brings us out. It's, it's really an archetypal story for, for women. You can also see this happen in um, uh, Twilight, the Twilight series, and in uh, even Fifty Shades of Grey, really. Um, the guy can't just be some rich dude. He has to have something mysterious and brooding about him, and there's got to be some sort of uncontrollability to that guy. He's got to be the beast from Beauty and the Beast, right? And she, through her you know, her, even if she's just this plain Jane kind of woman, she has some kind of feminine intuition and she knows how to reach this guy and she knows how to tame Tarzan and turn him from this wild savage in the, you know, this sexual being in the jungle and turn him into a gentleman and turn him into a, you know, into a nobleman kind of thing. And that she's the only one that can do that. She's the only one that can bring that out. But, and, and I, I, I use this all the time because, because, Jordan Peterson likes to use the uh, the illustration of Beauty and the Beast. I go, yeah, that's true. Archetypally, that's that's 100% on. But remember, she falls in love with the Beast. She doesn't fall in love with the Prince. She doesn't fall in love with. You know, she wants Superman. She doesn't want Clark Kent. Clark Clark might be nice, a nice guy, but he is the opposite side of that Madonna whore, uh, Alpha fucks Beta bucks side mm -hmm. of that equation. But the guy that she falls in love with has to be uncontrollable and has to be somebody that only she can uniquely tame. And I should also say that if you ever, if you ever read uh, the Twilight series or watch the movie, I've only seen one of the movies, um, or you uh, look at the character development in 50 shades of gray, they're almost an identical story because the woman who is in those stories is this very plain Jane mousy, no, nothing really, you know, nondescript the whole time. She's just sort of, they don't even give her any sort of, description of what the what she looks like or beyond the fact that she has some sort of magical intrinsic quality that turns you know edward the vampire into her you know her ideal lover and she has some magical way of doing that and then that archetype also feeds into the archetype for um today when we ridicule men for being super masculine like when we have uh, a macho guy we say oh he must be gay or we have like the the, the homer simpson uh archetype of the the lovable but stupid and bumbling husband mm -hmm. and you see that in, in in sitcoms all the time um i i really have a tough time watching old reruns of friends because if you look at the archetypes for the three males in that character, there's Joey, Chandler, and, and Ross in that. Ross is this, you know, sappy, horrible beta guy who's just a you know, complete wimp. But yet, women love him. Yeah, I, I hate that show for many reasons. <laughs> you know, and then they, they've got they've got Joey, who is this good-looking dude, you know, and and is supposed to be an actor and, and a lady killer and everything, but he's stupid, you know, and he's. It's not quite there. And really, I think Chandler sort of comes somewhere in between those two. <laughs> Chandler's still beta, but he can't quite match Joey and his, in his, you know, his physique anyways. And whenever I look at those, I look at those now through a red pill lens. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, it's sort of has ruined a lot of popular media for me to have. I'm sure everybody listening to this understands that. When you see something these days and you look through a red pill lens, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, this is going on. But 
those archetypes go back to what you're talking about, where we have the bumbling idiot husband who has the woman who is the cure for his stupidity and helps him save himself from himself uh, before, you know, through no other means than she has some magical feminine intuition to help him save himself from himself. And so again, that's sort of a play on that same romantic uh, archetype. Yeah, the thing with archetypes, I have, to, I have to get this out before I lose it, but you know, we were saying like with the Beauty and the Beast story where in all those fantasies where the woman falls in love with the beast, you know, the, the guy's always beastly in some manner or another where he's savage. But he gets humanized because women, you know, but it's always the female character never has any really special qualities to her that are, you could point out and say that's superlative. It's just by the fact of her being female, she, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like this female, it's representative of female mysticism where women want you to think they're mystic. Feminine mystique. Yeah, feminine yes. mystique. She has this feminine mystique about her that, has, that is based upon nothing but it is. Mm-hmm. And then the beast archetype is humanized by it. Mm-hmm. But he's only humanized for her. So he'll still go out and kill everybody. Right. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it puts it puts the beast, it puts the alpha male because you really when you're looking at that, you're looking at the alpha archetype that the woman wants to breed with. She wants to have sex with. You know, not necessarily the, the prince might be somebody who can pay the bills and take care of the kids and you know make sure that they've got a ha- a roof over their head. She don't want to fuck that guy. She wants to fuck the guy who's the beast. And that is that the reason that that's the archetype is because you're looking at a woman who has to separate alpha fucks from beta bucks. And she's always going to, you know, beta bucks is almost always going to be there for an attractive woman. Um, even, even an average woman, beta bucks is pretty much going to always be there. So they're going to focus more on Tarzan rather than Clark Kent. And so what, what the archetypes are built upon is this, really is, uh, was hypergamy, which is a female sexual strategy, is what, what can I do to get this guy, it's the ultimate fantasy, they can get this perfect alpha dude who's going to be loyal only to them, mm-hmm. is only going to want to have sex with them, and she completes him. And so in doing that, in that completion, uh, he, he appreciates her, he finds something new about himself. Like he, there's always some part of him that's missing. There's always some kind of... Uh, incompleteness to him that she magically with her feminine wiles can 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 solve that problem for him and that is again very very ego gratifying for women like what we were just talking about about how a woman associates her own personal value and associates her you know her ego with the kind of guy that she can get and so here you have this woman who maybe she's attractive, but she's not like super, super attractive. But there's some magical, you know, feminine mystique quality about her that this guy is receptive to and it fixes him. And so he's gone from being broken to being this perfectly, you know, uh, you know, the perfect mate for her. The guy who is a, the combination of alpha fucks and beta fucks. And really that's, that's the gist, I think, really of most romance novel, formulaic romance novels. Yeah, I, I think on a transcendent level, the way I characterize that is that it's you know the, the idea that you know the idea that you could take away patriarchy. It's so ingrained into literally the DNA of human beings, where okay. the most powerful thing a woman can do, and you know, in, in fantasy and fairy tale, and you know, on a transcendent level, the most powerful thing a woman can do is to get a powerful man. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's the power. That's the ultimate power for you know for you know the, for those stories, the Beauty and the Beast archetype, right? I, I liked. The way Pearson characterized it as being sort of this typical female fantasy where, you know, for the man, it's being the hero. For the woman, it's being Belle, 
what, what did you get? You got the most powerful man. You got the most powerful thing in the universe, basically, with mm -hmm. all the gravity, with everything that a, an ideal masculine figure could be. You got it to fall for you, and now you complete it. Right. Well, again, and it goes back to the 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 feminine mystique, but also a need on the part of women to just by virtue of being a woman, be more powerful than a man. Because what do we say? We say men conquer worlds and women conquer men. And so if you can conquer the if you can conquer the agency that can go out and conquer the world, then you know that makes you more powerful than anything else in the world. And you, you're talking about women who are intrinsically innately weaker than men but there's that want or that desire to be in control of a, a chaotic world they want to be in control of uh, their security they want to be in control of, of you know having their selection or having their pick of the the alpha fucks that they want to have they want to have the control to make sure that their beta bucks or their their security their long-term security side is matched with their short-term sexual side and really when you look at where we've come since in a society wise when you when you look at how we've gone from the sexual revolution up until where we are today we put pretty much progressively layer after layer put more and more control into the hands of women Whereas the women don't want that control. They only want to be able to control the man so mm -hmm. that the man can do it for them so that they're free to do whatever, feel, feel powerful in a dangerous situation, even though they're not responsible for that protection. Yeah, well, they, don't want the, they don't want the responsibility that comes with it. I mean, that's why there's certain, you know, so there's certain avenues of professions that are never going to be female-oriented. You know, military, nobody wants to see women with guns getting shot. Mm -hmm. We, yeah. we want to say that you can be a... No one wants to see that, but at the same time, well, a woman could do that if she wanted to. Mm -hmm. yeah. but and, that, and that's a fantasy, too. Is that, again, that's a power fantasy that uh, a woman can be everything. She can, she can have... She can have both sides of her, you know, masculine and feminine be in complete alignment with each other. And we always talk about, I mean, really since the, the sexual revolution, we've talked about how men need to get in touch with their female side. And so we feminize men and we masculinize women. And really what we're doing is if you're going to put, it goes against nature, first of all. It goes against our evolved, our evolved natures in, in the first place. What were we just talking about? We are just talking about how women are innately attracted to dominance and decision-making and competence within a man. They're not attracted to a guy who's this weak, you know, meek, harmless, you know, harmless guy. They're not, they're not interested in that. Um, but, you know, when you look at why, why are they not interested in that? Because we evolved from 100,000 years ago to seek competency in men, to seek that power, to seek, to want to have sex with the men who have the, the highest, you know, physical prowess of anybody else. And of course that creates a dominance hierarchy. And then that really women are the, the real responsible, responsible party for patriarchy is because by doing that, by selecting based on those criteria, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get them to select something that goes against their, in you know, their inborn evolved arousal and attraction cues. I'm just not going to do that. It's just not how our brains are, are wired up to do that. And if you do, you're going to have a woman who is constantly struggling against that and has this internal conflict where she's going against uh, wanting that guy that her evolutionary, you know, imperatives say that she should be with. And then her cognitive 
you know, rational mind is saying, well, you know, it's okay that guys are, are weak. It's okay that guys are vulnerable. It's okay that guys are, you know, you got this two warring factions and what she's been taught and what her innate nature really wants from that guy. And I think we see that again, like in the, the GI Jane fantasy, well, we want to be as tough as guys, or we want to, to be as powerful as guys because, and we want to live lives that mirror what we think guys' lives are like. And so that means being able to commit to a career because it's so, you know, if the men have it and they have more power, then they want that too. And they want to be the ones that are involved in a lot of, you know, the, the same masculine activities that men have always been a part of because they see that as a route to power. Mm -hmm. And then from that, they, they apply that thinking, that masculine is best thinking uh, to a lot of different other aspects of their lives. So when women get to be, you know, what I call it, just past their epiphany phase, or they're just past the wall, and they start asking, where are all the good men at? Where can I, why can't I find a guy who's, who's smart and educated and uh, who's on my level or higher, my, my high programmist level or higher? How come I can't find those guys? Because those guys who exist don't want to have anything to do with you because you're too much like a man. Again, goes back to the differences that make the attraction, not, not how alike we are. So women base their attraction parameters or their measurements based on what they would necessarily be for a man. So if a man is got status and a man has a good job and a man has um, all of these things that she wants and that she went to college for and she went and did all this thing so she could follow in the life plan of a man. And then she says, well, where are the good men at? Well, of course not, because you've made yourself into a man for the last, you know, 10 or 12 years in your, in your schooling and everything else. You think that that's where you want to go. And you're expecting men to be attracted to what attracts women in men. That, 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 yeah. I, I've, I've, so I, I've trained a lot. I've had a lot of female clients. Mm -hmm. That I found was fascinating. So when I was training, so I, I was training clients in Hollywood, had women like in their 30s. This exact conversation, stereotypical to a T. 35, not married. You know, I can't find any good guys. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. And, you know, then I was with a guy a few years back, but he wanted me to stop working. He wanted to take care of me. I wasn't going to do that because I have my career. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, so they, they hit the wall. They passed the wall. Yeah. And then it's this, this you know, horrifying realization. where I've, I've had so many women break down crying about this in the mm -hmm. process of training where you're, the, the female criteria that you know, looks are not everything, it's personality, it's all these things. Yeah, obviously women are selecting for a lot of different competencies. Men are selecting for, not to be overly reductionist, but attractiveness. And sexual availability. Yeah, sexual availability, <laughs> age. Mm -hmm. Do I get along with her? Am I going to have to put up with a dude chick who's mm -hmm. 36? And then when they have that realization that, oh, men don't select women the way women select men. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I heard that complaint so often. All the guys now, they only want to date 20-year-olds. What, you know, what, what, what pigs to want to, you know, have sex with Because they have, they have because, because the 20 year olds have everything that they're attracted to and they're not, you know, hopefully at 20, God forbid at 20, that you're, you're this really careerist, you know, quote unquote, alpha female, mm -hmm. um, which I don't believe in, but um, I think that, yeah, exactly. When they get to be 35 years old and they're suddenly having these, this, realization that they're not, you know the criteria for female attraction is not the same as it is for men 
then they, they're like, holy shit, what do I do? And you're, you're talking about a woman who has been raised to be a man, more or less, or to be masculinized, and then to just even say, hey, you need to become more feminine. That's like me telling a guy who has made women his mental point of origin for his entire life, you need to make yourself your mental point of origin. It's the same, it's the same dynamic because I'm saying, basically what I'm saying is you've been living your life wrong. <laughs> you know? And that's a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow, man. Especially for women who are constantly empowered. They're constantly told, you know, you go girl and you can have it all and you can do this and you, you could still have a career and have a family and you can do all this stuff. And they're constantly empowered. And even when they're depressed and even when all of that comes crashing down on them, there's still more, even more social support and social conventions that builds them right back up again. So to tell a woman you need to be more feminine and you need to look better and you need to offer something more than, than just what a careerist woman can offer. And that's insulting to them in the first place because they, it's, it's telling them they've lived their lives the wrong way. But you say, hey, look, you know, the proof is right here. And guys, you, know, you can shame guys all you want for liking girls between the ages of 21 and 24 years old. The fact of the matter is, is that's what they're attracted to and that's what they're gonna go for. Um, I, even, uh, was it? I think it was Black Label Logic. Was show, he, he's got a really great book. If you haven't read it, it's Gendernomics. Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of quotes from this other book called Dataclism, which was all this sort of dating information that was made public um, through okcupid.com. And women rate the vast, vast majority of men as being unattractive, like physically unattractive. There's only, and it was sad because, you know, we always say, well, you know, it's 80, it's the 80, 20 rule, you know, 20% of men are, are attractive and 80% are betas. And blah, blah, blah. I would almost argue that it's closer to like 93, seven. I, I think it's more, you know, it's funny. I, I think it's more, I was thinking about this the other day. So, so someone asked me like, you've used online dating. I'm like, I have, but I, I, I like, I was thinking about, I'm like, I'm probably in that 20%. And I realized I'm like, it's more of a power law, honestly. Like it's like a 90-10 distribution. Yeah, yeah. And so you got that, and then you've got the uh, the other stats where um, they ask men from ages like 18 to about 50 or 60, maybe even 70. I think they went pretty old. What is the age in which uh, you find the opposite sex most attractive? And then they did the same thing for women. And for women, it was usually about a five to seven-year uh difference between the two they always wanted a guy who was older than them five to seven years older some cases a little more some cases a little less mm -hmm. but mostly about a five to seven year distribution so if a woman is 30 years old she finds a guy 35 to 37 right, right? um the odd the thing for for men is it never changes the guy who is 18 years old they all seek women who are between the ages of what i call the sexual market peak for women which is right 22 to 24 right 22 23 24 right in that range for every single age all the way up to 70 the guy who's 70 he finds the woman who's 23 the most attractive and a guy who's 50 guy who's 40 guys who's 20 all of them find that demographic the most attractive and it doesn't change and women of course think that this must be a result of these poor men being socialized to think that, <laughs> that it's a social construct. It's, they, they, all women become social constructivists when it comes to why men are after young, younger, hotter, and tighter. Uh -huh. It's simply, I mean, really the simple stupid answer is that we're evolved that way and we're looking for youth and we're looking for fertility. That's what we're looking for naturally. But they want to say, well, it's because 
you know, magazine covers and it's because of bikini models and it's because of strippers and it's because of porn and it's because of anything that would possibly shame a man for wanting younger, hotter, and tighter and completely ignoring the fact that it's just simply our natural predilections to want women like that. And well, so, then yeah. the time of their breeding window, I, there's yeah. something, I don't know if you've heard, I've identified with this. This is, I just, I've known lots of women where like, it's not, it's not the wall. Like I, it's like the 25 crisis. Mm-hmm. I've had this happen so many times at work. It's, it's been a noble phenomenon for me where the, the, the prime, the sexual market value prime is, let's say, like, you know, 21 to 24. You got like, you know, let's say, like, you got 20 to 24. You got like a five year window. At 25, I've had this conversation just infinitely where it's this question of, I've asked outright, am I still in my prime? <laughs> am I 20, like, I've, I've, you know, I've had like this women I've known, yeah, am I still in my prime? Like, I just, I just turned 25, am I still in my prime? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm not hot. I feel like I'm not as hot as I used to be. Mm. You know, am I still, I, you know, and they, and I, I'm not going to say they, they decline, but it's just women have that internal, they have that observational realization where they can look themselves at 25 and they realize that, yeah, 21, I mean, unless they've really taken care of themselves, I was probably a little bit skinnier mm-hmm. and a little bit hotter. And they can see that, I think it's the first time they can actually see the difference mm-hmm. from a longevity standpoint where they are getting older and, Yes, you are not going to be as hot as you age. You're not. Yeah. It's right around 25, 28, and then right in that window. That's that simple pragmatism finally creeping up on women. I think that pretty much all women realize that they hit a peak uh, right about the time that I that I say they do, really, um, between 22 and 24 years old. And you know, oddly enough, that happens to be the same place that dataclism stats show. Uh, but I, I have, um, in the second book in preventive medicine, uh, I, I don't know if you've read it, but, um, the, uh, the whole book is pretty much based on a timeline that I created mm-hmm. from a woman who is 15 years old till she's about 50 years old. And some people criticize me for going that young and some people criticize me for not going older. <laughs> hmm. Um, but I think, you know, that's right. You know, 15 is right about the time that, you know, boy, boys start taking interest in girls sexually. So you kind of have to include that. Um, and then what they're primarily interested in during those various phases of their maturity. So when you got a girl who is between 15 and maybe 23, 24, right before the 25 threshold you're talking about, they're primarily concerned with looks when it comes to guys or they're looking for that alpha look and it's all about short-term breeding at that point it's all about hitting it before they're out of that prime fertility window and i i told my daughter this and she she completely understands i said look when you get to be 22 years old 23 that is going to be as hot as you are ever going to be in your lifetime and you know, I'm sure there's people who are going to watch this going, oh, my God, I can't believe he said that to his daughter. But, but she understands that because she's a model, and she's been a pageant girl. And mm-hmm. so she's a very, very attractive, I mean, I toot my own horn, but my wife's a very attractive woman, and mm-hmm. I don't think I'm a slouch either. But she got the really good genetics and is yeah. a model and very good looking. I told her, I said, you know what, use that to your best ability once you get to, you know, into your prime, she's read my books before. I said, you know, use that to your best ability when you get to that, because afterwards, um, you know, you're going to be looking back on that time and trying everything you do from 25, 26, 27, 28, all the way up to the rest of your life. It will be in an effort to get back to 
that time when you were at your hottest, which was you know, 22, 23 years old. I said, I'm not trying to say this to, to depress you. I'm just giving you the facts and telling you what it's going to really be like. And that doesn't mean that women aren't hot when they, you know, I know some pretty, I like to think my, my own wife is pretty hot, but yeah. I, I look at, you know, women who are in their forties and they can take care of themselves. I look at, you know, uh, I think that's one of the things that's frustrating some of your clients really mm-hmm. is that they go and they put out the effort and they try to look good and they try to get back into the intersexual competition. And they're still struggling against that because their 35 year old self is not ever going to be as hot as their 25 year old self was because men base their arousal and their attraction on younger, hotter, tighter. So all the stuff that guys do to get, you know, status, um, good looks, like we were talking about, like for men during their peak, um, it takes longer for a man to mature into the highest potential he's going to have. And I always say that's right around 34 to 36 years old, I think, for guys. Mm-hmm. It takes longer because you need to you need to be a better judge of character. You need to have, you know, hopefully you've got some some money together. Hopefully you've got your you're more complete package than you could have been when you were 25 years old. But getting back to what you're saying, I think that, yeah, I think right about that time is when women start to really consciously acknowledge that they're not going to be able to keep up in the game as well as they have been. And that's why I say, um, you're probably familiar with my, my term, the epiphany phase. Yep. I say when a woman gets to be about, I think the latest is 29 to 31 years old, women are in their epiphany phase. And that's when they say, Oh, I need to get my life together. I need to, to uh, stop, you know, having sex with all these bad boys. I need to find them. Where are the nice guys? When you hear the vast majority of women say, where are the nice guys? Why can't I find the right, the right guy? Why can't I find the right guy? And, you know, Rolo, where are the nice guys? Where are the, where are the good guys? And it's like, they're back in your twenties where you left them. Because, where have all the good men gone? Yeah. That's what they're back in your twenties where you didn't want to have anything to do with them at the time. Um, but, they go through that kind of crisis. It's really, I call it a sort of a mirror. The epiphany phase is really a mirror to um, men's midlife crisis. If you want to even call it that, I don't really like calling it a midlife crisis. I I think of it again as an epiphany for men because guys who get into that midlife crisis, but it's uh, like I said, it's a revelation for them to understand where they've been and what they're doing you know, and how they've been, you know, if they, especially if they're, they're divorced or they're, you know, they're single parents or something like that. And they, they begin to realize their role in the game that, that women had for them that they played along in. And now they have the choice to, um, to get out of that game or to keep going along with that game. And I think that's really sort of the epiphany phase for men. But for women, it's, it's oh, my God, I can't compete with the women that I used to compete with. And I need to find a long-term guy and cash out of the casino before I can't do that anymore. And so that's when women go, okay, I'm going to make this guy wait three dates before I have sex with him. Okay. I'm going to get myself right with God. I'm going to, uh, I'm done with the bad boys. I've learned my lesson. They haven't learned any lesson. I'm I'm a good girl now. Yeah. I'm a good girl now. They haven't learned anything like that. What that is, is that's their, their subconscious saying, oh my God, I better, you know, find somebody in the long term because if I don't, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have kids. I'm not going to have the family. I'm not going to do those things that I wanted to. And that coincides, I should say, with the statistics that show that women and well, even men. You know how they say the the marriage, uh, the age of marriage has 
increasingly got more older and older and older. So right now the average age of marriage is 27 years old for, for, for men and women. Uh, I would suggest that even in the future, we're going to see that that's going to get even older. Mm -hmm. So right about that time is when women go through their epiphany phase. And I think that, that probably the girl you were talking about, the 25-year-old, she might have been just sort of coming to that really tough, you know, cognizant you know, realization that she's, it's, the party's not going to go on forever and she's going to have to find yeah. some way out. Well, I mean, you, you, I was living in Los Angeles at the time and, you know, they, LA is filled with beautiful women. Mm -hmm. There's always new women coming in and they're hotter and younger. Every, every beauty queen moves to LA to be an actress, model, singer, whatever. So you have these women like, yeah, they're hot in their mid to late twenties, but then they're seeing the early 20 girls move in. Mm -hmm. They have that realization. And it, it's funny. I've, I've referenced, I've, I've read the you know, volume two, period of medicine, but I referenced a scale at some time in a periscope where I was, I was referring for, for a gentleman to have an understanding where women's preferences will change as they age. Mm -hmm. You said this yourself, you know, from 15 to, through high school, I want a hot alpha guy that's hot. Mm -hmm. Very basic. Then you get into you know the early twenties, and then it's most it's still mostly looks driven and having fun. But then twenty five is that threshold period where it's like, oh, I, okay, these girls are a bit hotter than me now. Maybe I need to be more relationship minded, especially if they're single. They've been single twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. But then they can still kind of have the ego defenses kick in because they have the social condition that tells them that you know you're still a catch. Mm -hmm. You're going to get hotter when you turn thirty, dirty thirty. Um, you know. You know, all that BS, but then inevitably the, the wall happens. And for the guys that are still single at that time, I, I think in a way, sometimes you have these, you know, there's certain subset of men where they're relationship minded, maybe in their twenties, they want to be with a girl and they get into their later twenties and they start realizing just kind of by default, you know what? It's easier to date. Now I'm more of a catch at 29, 30 than I am at 22. Oh, this is, this is kind of cool. I can, you, know, you want younger girls are easier to get along with than, older women mm -hmm. that's kind of cool yeah i've had that happen myself i turned 20 this year mm -hmm. the older i've gotten the more and i i couldn't even ascribe it to being intentional the older i've gotten the more i want to say control of the dynamic but the more enjoyable the dynamic is mm -hmm. yeah. it's more of a natural polarity you know i think a lot of that when uh, i go into a lot of detail especially in preventive medicine about the stages of maturity that a woman goes through, but there's also a definite progression that men go through too. And like, I think you're sort of discovering that right now. One of the reasons I tell guys to, you know, don't make such a big deal out of your one-itis when you're 19 years old or you're, even when you're 23 years old and, and don't, don't go and slit your wrist because some girl left you. It's because, you know, you're still not even at your peak potential yet. Uh, even you are not at your peak potential yet. And I can only see that going up, but you're starting to make that, that realization that it's easier now. And because you're, you're making that realization, you're more confident in it because you like, like I, I've been with enough women that I know that, you know, I, I hate to use the stupid bus analogy, but if I miss this bus, another one's going to come along and I'm going to be good because, because men, you're right. Men become a, and more and more of a catch the older that they get because they have more maturity and they have more, um, they have, well, confidence is a sort of a byproduct of that, but they have, uh, I guess they're a better judge of character. They establish themselves in, uh, with who they are with themselves and then also in their, in their work and their ambitions. And hopefully they've achieved something. I'm not saying everybody has to be a lawyer or something like that, but I'm just saying hopefully you've achieved some of the ambitions that you made for yourself and you're starting to hit your stride. 
you know, right around 34, 35, 36 years old. I have a, a post called uh, the epiphany phase and the Jenny Bond experience or something like that. And it was about this poor girl who was 30 years old and she was dating this guy who was 36. And she's at an age in her epiphany phase where she wants to, you know, cash out. And she's been dating this one guy and she's a model too. And she's, you know, she's pretty attractive for 30. She just turned 30. And uh, she's trying to get this guy to commit because the guy's a catch. And why is he a catch? He's a catch because he's hitting his stride at 37 years old, something like that. And she's wanting to lock him down. And his, you know, the whole article she wrote was about how he wouldn't do it. Because he's like, I've, I've never been in such a position of being the prime selector of being able to, to say who I want to go with and who I want to spend the rest of my life with. And he's, like, he's like, no offense, you're a good looking girl. But, you know, I have, what do you bring to the table that, you know, that I can't get from somebody else who's, who's better? It seems really insulting for women. But the thing is, is that women have prioritized themselves sexually to make themselves sexual commodities for so long that there's nothing else to them. And that's, they're forcing men to really see women as only as a sexual commodity. So when a guy gets to the a point in his life where he's the sexual selector, like you were talking about before, I don't necessarily agree that, that women are the, the only sexual selectors. Yeah. Women can go out and get laid if they want to on a, on a Saturday night, if they want to go, Hey, give it up for free. They, yeah, they can go. Sure. They can go do that. Mm-hmm. But who are they having sex with and what is the result of that? And really and what's prompting that too. But the older that a guy gets and the older that, you know, like yourself is you're, you're a really good example. So, you know, you've got yourself together, you've got the business together. You're obviously red pill aware. Um, you've got, a lot going for you. Um, you will be. You will represent. What are you? Twenty nine right now? Yeah, two weeks or. Yeah, so so you're not even thirty yet. But once you, I'm gosh, man, watch out, man, because right now you need to protect yourself because women will look at that and they'll go, "This guy's he's good looking. He's got his shit together. And he's got a business and he's he's down to earth." And oh man, why can't, you know where all the good guys? There he is, right there. You know they they could very easily do that. But what they'll what they'll try to do is lock you down. They'll accidentally get pregnant. Um, they'll they'll try to find you know duplicitous ways to uh, to to get you into to committing. I mean, there's shit. There are. Did you know that there are like online forums of women who do nothing but discuss exactly what I'm talking about right now? Like, how can I lock this dude down? There is a black market. Did you know this? There's a black market for positive birth control or birth birth tests or pregnancy tests pregnancy. right now. So if a woman pees on a stick and it's pink or whatever, she can go and she can put that up on this black market and say, okay, it's going for X amount of dollars so that the someone other woman who's not pregnant can show it to their man and get him to, you know, by fraud, get him to commit more. And they, there's, no, there's no laws against that. That's not a criminal act. You can sell that and, and nobody's regulating this and nobody's calling this shit out. You've got to be fucking careful at that you know, time. I had a female client that, uh, like, women, it's funny, when you're like a red pill wear guy, women will open up to you about stuff they would never tell a, bit, a blue pill guy. They, they, you know, they will. If you, if you can get them comfortable. I, I had a female client, remember, we, we had a good relationship. I trained her after she just had her second child. She told me outright. You know, like we were discussing her, you know, she's like, I've been married X amount of time. Like, how'd you guys meet? She said outright. She's like, I will totally tell you. I purposely got pregnant without telling him. Mm-hmm. I told him I was on the pill because I want to lock him down because he, yeah, he was uh, five, you know, high level finances, you know, worked in, um, you know, private equity. 
she was, you know, young. She's like, I knew that I was like getting like past my peak. Mm-hmm. I want to say she was like 27 yep. around there. Right in, right in that epiphany phase. No, she, she lied out. She's like, we were, we were laughing about it. But at the same time, it's kind of like a dark humor to it. I'm thinking my head like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, like, she, had, she had no sense of regret. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're married. They're happy, let's say. She's, she's from her friend. She's like, yeah, I told him I was on the pill. I wasn't. And then I made him just, you know, get on top of me a whole bunch of times when we could. And then I got pregnant with our first child. Then he had to yeah. marry me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what? There, like I said, there are internet forums dedicated to figuring that out and how to, how to, and it's like, they'll throw a party, you know, once the guy, you know, once they lock down a guy, you know, doing exactly, basically it's birth fraud is what it is. And so I always tell guys to say, you know, you guys, you really need, especially when you get into that, you're dealing with a woman who's in her epiphany phase and you are maybe 33 years old and you have some, you, you have some prospect to you, some, you know, some potential to you, um, man, be careful because women, first of all, they know that you have that selective capacity there. So when a woman is in like her, her peak sexual phase, like, you know, right about like 23, 23 years old. Yeah, definitely. They are the selectors right then. They, you know, men display women select and she's going to go out with who she's going to have sex with whoever the hell that she wants to have sex with, because she's the one that has she'll, at no other point in her life. Will she have more, selective capacity than at that point and i think that guys the the trick the 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 evil trick is that um we 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 condition guys to be these poor blue pill pre-whipped guys so that there's these perfect uh you know these perfect dupes when they get to to be 30 years old and they don't know any better and suddenly all these girls are really into them and they think that their ships come in you know, they think, oh man, all these girls who would never have anything to do with me. Well, now I finally, and, and it's an ego boost for them because, oh, yeah. they, because they stuck to the plan and they, they, they made something of themselves. I think they've made something of themselves and they, they made X amount of dollars per year and they don't understand that they're not being selected on the criteria of alpha fucks. They're being selected on the criteria of what they think long-term security and parental investment is going to be. And that's another thing I think that sort of gets mixed up in the mix there is like women will go and they'll get pregnant with a guy like an alpha guy and they're you know say they're 24 years old then they get to be you know 30 years old 31 years old and they expect some blue pill guy to come and invest in the kid that she had sex with with the guy that she you know the alpha that she fucked when she was in her 20s in her party years and so you know really what what i call that is uh, retroactive uh maybe yeah, retroactive cuckoldry mm-hmm. you're taking that guy and you're expecting another guy to raise that that man's child knowing full well that that guy was never going to be a great father but you wanted to have sex with him and you wanted to have a kid with him but you're expecting this poor blue pill guy at 30 years old to come over and, and take over the responsibilities for that and how do they do that they make the guy out to be oh, a hero oh well, he he stepped up and adopted this kid and he really fell in love with me and my 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 children and you know we have a great life you know in the back of her head she knows that you know this guy is really just footing the bill for the the alpha that she had sex with before and that's another really duplicitous side of this whole thing but yeah i mean in in your situation man you just you have to be so so careful because they know this they know that shit's going down i had a i had a point in my early 20s i was like 22 i was i was dating a much older woman she's like it was like 22 32 she's 10 years older and I remember we're like a few weeks into it. And yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I was 22 then. So like I was, I'm still, I'm still in my blue pill phase kind of like, I'm like transitioning out of it, you know, learning how to be, you know, kind of like, like letting the alpha come forth. 
Um, but I remember we had this morning where like we basically, we woke up, fucked, and I was like, I gotta go, I gotta go to work. And she's like, she's just fiercely pissed off. She's like, what, what do you, she's like, are you not gonna cuddle me? You're not gonna, I'm like, I have to leave. I have like, look at my, I have to watch this. I have like an 8 a.m. appointment. Like I have to go. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, like my career is the most important thing to me. Uh-huh. And that, that one statement though, when I said that, just set off a fury. Oh yeah. Career is the most important thing? I'm like, yeah. Because like, yeah. Yeah, I, I was, I was not so beta. I wasn't gonna, you know, I was not so blue pill. I was that for I'm like, yeah, because I, it's making me money. And why wouldn't it be? She's like, what about me? I'm like, you're number two. Like, <laughs> my most, I told him, like, my most important thing in my life yeah. is me. Yeah. It was just, that was like a oh, week yeah. long argument. Their relationship did not last. But you I, know, I, I you know, you know, like, you know, wanted to lock down the younger guy. Uh-huh. I had a lot going for me then, you know. It was, what's funny is that is a good illustration of what I was talking about before how women expect men to defer to women. They expect, they, she expected your priority to be her, her. not you. And why? Because she's probably lived for you know the last twenty five years with guys just kissing her ass and wanting to be you know her, prioritizing her in their mental point of origin as opposed to themselves. Yeah, why not? <laughs> that's that, that's good. Yeah, that's good. it was a good RP moment for me. Just I realized I, I thought about it afterwards. You know, like especially later on, I'm like she really thought I was going to say her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but then she had that male conditioning. There, I realized I'd put myself in that position where I was like, okay, like younger guy, younger guy, older woman. But I had a really good corporate career, so I think you know, prior, you know, in her head, her mind, she's like, well, I'm older, I'm past my prime, but I got a really, 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 really hot guy. Okay. I need to lock down immediately. Yeah, yeah. That that that. I mean, that relationship lasted like eight weeks. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> hey, well, we've been going for two hours here. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, this has been yeah. a. We've, we've covered a lot of ground with this. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, um, can we make this uh, available to everybody to yeah. listen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to take the audio for it and then I'll, uh, you know, uh, I'll take the audio. I'm thinking I'll put the video on YouTube too. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I'll post up later today. So. Okay. All right. Um, let me just say one thing before yeah. we break though yeah. is um, I hope you, I really do. I want you to go to uh, the 21 convention. Like I said, I suggested you to Anthony and I, I think that would be really good because I, I really think that the one thing about the convention the, the now anyways, is it's really gone from kind of this purple pill kind of wishy-washy thing to really being more, much more red pill and, and much more focused in this direction right now. And I, I was just discussing this with Anthony not too long ago. I, was like, I, I think it is unique in that it brings together um, guys from, all over, you know, all over the manosphere. So we got a guy who's going to talk about, you know, being in a being in a marriage guy. We got pickup artist guys. We got we got fitness guys such as yourself. Um, we, I mean, I'm there. I'm just the philosophy, psychology side of things. Um, we have uh, the self improvement guys. There's just so much crossover between the speakers who are going to be at this, and that's why I really wanted to get you involved in this. I and mean, we have we have some other guys who are more physique. Uh, you know they're they're into workout and nutrition and stuff like that too but i don't think they do it quite the way that you do it like yeah. you're you're more of like a you're more of like a zen kind of guru guy you know like where it's more like a spirit like i was i was gonna say that when i saw the jesse peterson video with you yeah. I, was, I, I learned more about you in that one video <laughs> i was like damn i didn't know he was jewish <laughs> yeah that, I mean, there's, there's certain stuff i don't talk about and i mean that's why like i think he draws it out of you yeah, yeah, like he did. He did a good job. Like being in the fitness industry, I'm like, I, I never wanted that career. So like a lot of what interests me more so is the, it's a philosophy, psychology yeah. side yeah. of things. You know, and, so, and so you bring, a, I think you bring a, a, 
a different angle to it, which I think is, I, I think a lot of people can, a lot of guys can benefit from, but we have so much going on. That's why I was hoping you were. You know, yeah. No, definitely. Tell me, are, are you confirmed? Did you know if you're going to do it? Or not? Yeah, I'm not confirmed with them. Definitely. Uh, so. Cool. Cool. Um, so anyways, uh, you can find my stuff at the rational mail.com. Uh, you already know that. Um, show notes, all you that can, uh, uh, you're probably going to list this anyways, but you can just look up the rational mail on, uh, on Amazon and you'll find, all three of my books. And if anybody wants to talk to me one-to-one, I'm on Twitter at Rolo Tomasi at Rational Mail. Awesome. I just like to throw those out there. So. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to yeah. link all your stuff and all this. Yeah. So. Awesome, my man. Well, cool, get- man. All right, it was good to talk to you. We got to do this again. We got to do this. Hey, I would really like to, uh, just before we quit here, I, I really would like to get you to come and uh, be a speaker on one of our, uh, our Red Man group chats where we've got yeah, like, like five, we get together five guys and, and um, you know, the topics vary, but we're just, for right now, it's really just guys that, that I think would be good. I think you'd certainly be good on it. And then speakers from the, from the convention. We're getting, getting I totally be up for it. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Good talk to you. Talk to you again. Yeah. Okay. We'll see it. Adios.